Tonight on Throwback Thursday, as Tune FM celebrates 50 years, 1997. The world weeps at the death of Princess Diana. On every continent today, mourners paying tribute. Then, more shocking news. The driver of her car was under the influence of alcohol. We're looking at some of the defining events of the year 97, including the death of Diana, Princess of Wales, the Mars Pathfinder, and the deep blue chess computer from IBM. We're trying to prove that it was possible to build a chess machine that could beat the best human player in the world. All that and plenty of great music tonight on Throwback Thursday 1997, helping Tune FM celebrate 50 years. You are certainly listening to Throwback Thursday here on 106.9 Tune FM. It's going to be another great episode as we go through some uh, some of the more significant events from the year 1997. We continue to charge through the 1990s towards the turn of the millennium. It's going to be a very interesting episode indeed. We're going to open up with the death of Diana, Princess of Wales. Uh, It's an absolutely devastating event in history and something that was absolutely huge. I'm sure many people uh, remember it happening. We're going to be talking about NASA's Mars Pathfinder, a very significant moment in space exploration in 97. And we'll be talking about the IBM Deep Blue Chess Computer, a very big technological development in 1997. But we will, of course, start with the death of Diana, Princess of Wales, who died in the early hours of the 31st of August 1997 after being injured in a motor vehicle accident in a road tunnel in Paris. Her partner, uh, Dodi Fayed, and the driver of the Mercedes-Benz were both pronounced dead at the scene. Uh, Their bodyguard, Trevor Rhys-Jones, survived with serious injuries. Some media claimed that the erratic behavior of paparazzi who were following the car, as reported by the BBC, had contributed to the crash. In 1999, a French investigation found that Paul, who lost control of the vehicle at high speed while intoxicated by alcohol and under the effects of prescription drugs, was solely responsible for the crash. He was the deputy head of security at the Hotel Ritz and had earlier goaded paparazzi while waiting for Diana and fired outside the hotel. Antidepressants and traces of an antipsychotic in his blood may have worsened his inebriation. In 2008, the jury at a British inquest returned a verdict of unlawful killing through grossly negligent driving by Paul and the paparazzi for following vehicles. It was also found that none of the occupants in the car were wearing a seatbelt. Diana was 36 years old when she died. And her death, well, had caused an unprecedented outpouring of public grief in the United Kingdom and worldwide. And her funeral was watched by an estimated 2.5 billion people. The royal family were criticized in the press for their reactions to Diana's death. And public interest in Diana has remained high ever since. And she's retained regular press coverage in the years after her death. It was an absolutely tragic event. Uh, she had been in France and on the the day before, she left Sardinia in Italy on a private jet and arrived in Paris with uh, Dodi Fayed, who was the son of Mohammed Al Fayed. They had stopped there en route to London, having spent the preceding nine days together on board Mohammed Al Fayed's yacht on the French and Italian Riviera, and they intended to stay in Paris for the night. Uh, they. Uh, the Hen- Henry Henri Paul, sorry, the uh, deputy head of security at the Ritz had then been instructed to drive a hired black 1994 Mercedes-Benz W140 in order to elude the paparazzi in France. Uh, they had a decoy vehicle which left the Ritz first and then they departed from the hotel's rear entrance. 
at about 23 minutes past 12 o'clock on the 31st of August. Paul lost control of the vehicle at the entrance to the Ponte de la Alma tunnel. The car struck the right-hand wall and then swerved to the left of the two-lane carriageway before it collided head-on with the 13th pillar that supported the roof of the tunnel traveling at an estimated speed of 105 kilometers an hour, which is over twice the tunnel's 50 kilometer an hour speed limit. It then spun and hit the stone wall of the tunnel backwards, finally coming to a stop. The impact caused substantial damage, particularly to the front half of the vehicle, as there was no guardrail between the pillars to prevent that. And witnesses arriving shortly after the accident then reported smoke and authorities were alerted to the incident. Uh, members of the public were invited to sign a book of condolence at St. James' Palace. It was one of the most public outpourings of grief worldwide, not just in the UK. All 11,000 light bulbs at Harrods were turned off and not switched on again until after the funeral. Throughout the night, members of the War Women's Royal Voluntary Service and the Salvation Army provided support for people queuing along the mall, and more than one million bouquets were left at Diana's London home in Kensington Palace. While at her family's estate at Althorpe, the public was asked to stop bringing flowers as the volume of people and flowers in the surrounding roads was said to be causing a threat to public safety. By the 10th of September, the pile of flowers outside Kensington Gardens was one and a half metres deep in some players, some places, sorry, and the uh, bottom layer had started to compost. There was this absolute quietness, a chill that people report remembering uh, over the UK at the time. Uh, it was an absolutely terrible event, uh, an absolutely horrible uh, event that absolutely stunned the world, I'm sure. It's, it's one of those events that people uh, remember where they were when they found out what had happened, and uh, that was probably the defining uh, incident of 1997, absolutely. Well, we're going to go to a song break here on Throwback Thursday. When we come back, we're going to be talking about something a bit more upbeat, which is NASA's Mars Pathfinder. That coming up after this song from 1997, which is Two Become One by the Spice Girls.
To become one by the Spice Girls, you're listening to Throwback Thursday 1997 here on 106.9 Tune FM. We're going to move on and look at the Mars Pathfinder. It's an American robotic spacecraft that landed a base station with a roving probe on Mars in 1997. It consisted of a lander and a lightweight rover named Sojourner, which became the first rover ever to operate outside of either Earth or the Moon. Uh, It was launched on the 4th of December 1996 by NASA aboard a Delta II booster. And it landed on the 4th of July 1997 on Mars' Ares Vallis in a region called Chrys Planitia in the Oxia Palis Quadrangle. If you know what any of that means, perhaps you're a, a science student or just a bit of a, an astronomy fan. The lander then uh, released the rover, which conducted many experiments on the Martian surface. It was the very uh, first rover to operate on another planet. It carried a series of scientific instruments to analyze the Martian atmosphere, the climate, the geology, the composition of its rocks and soil. It was the second project from NASA's Discovery Program, which promoted the use of low-cost spacecraft and frequent launches under the motto, Cheaper, Faster, and Better, which was promoted by then-administrator Daniel Golden. The mission was directed by the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, which was a division of the California Institute of Technology, who were responsible for NASA's Mars Exploration Program. Uh, And it was the first in a series of missions to Mars that included rovers and was the first successful lander since the two Vikings landed on the Red Planet back in 1976. Although the Soviet Union successfully sent rovers to the moon as part of the Lunokhod program in the 1970s, its attempts to use rovers in its Mars program had actually failed. So they were the first rover ever to be used on Mars. In addition to its scientific objectives, the Pathfinder mission was also a proof of concept for various different technologies, such as an airbag-mediated touchdown, uh, automated obstacle avoidance, which were both later used by the Mars Exploration rover missions. The Mars Pathfinder was also remarkable for its extremely low cost relative to other robotic space missions to Mars. It came in at uh, quite a low figure in the end. Uh, Originally, the mission was conceived of as the as the first of the Mars Environmental Survey uh, program, but basically that didn't come about. The objectives were to, first of all, prove that the development of faster, better, and cheaper spacecraft was possible. They had three years to develop it, and it cost under $150 million for the lander and $25 million for the rover, so a total cost of under $175 million, which sounds like a lot, but uh, a lot of other space missions had... Uh, absolutely rocketed into the billions before. It was also to show that it was possible to send a load of scientific instruments to another planet with a simple system and at one-fifteenth the cost of a Viking mission. The Viking missions cost $935 million in 1974, which was the equivalent of $3.5 billion in 1997 dollars. And it was also to demonstrate NASA's commitment to low-cost planetary exploration by finishing the mission with a total expenditure no higher than $280 million, including the launch vehicle and mission operations. So it's pretty uh, a pretty cheap mission and, of course, the first rover ever to uh, explore the surface of Mars. Uh, some of the things that it found uh, conducting its explorations uh, the lander contained a stereoscopic camera uh, to take photos. It carried uh, three windsocks mounted at three different heights on a pole. Uh, it had three navigation cameras, uh, conducted magnetic and mechanical properties of the land, magnetic properties of the dust, atmosphere, and rotational and orbital dynamics of the planet. Uh, it was 
It's it's got several uh, photos, I believe, that have been uh, taken. Yes, uh, panorama of the landing site was was taken. Uh, overall, a very very successful mission um, that turned out to be a lot cheaper than expected, as well as coming out with some excellent. Uh, results for NASA. And it, it's probably a massive stepping stone in what we uh, see now in terms of space exploration, which is that Mars is essentially the next frontier for human exploration. You're listening to 106.9 Tune FM. This is Throwback Thursday. When we come back, we'll be talking about our third incident from 1997, which is the IBM Deep Blue Computer. That's coming up next. This is Men in Black by Will Smith.
Men in Black by Will Smith. You're listening to Throwback Thursday, 1997 here on 106.9 Tune FM. We're going to move on and talk about the IBM Deep Blue Computer, a massive step in uh, exactly working out exactly how powerful uh, computers were going to be. It was a chess-playing computer developed by IBM. It took 12 years to develop. The development began in 1985 with the chip test project at the Carnegie Mellon University. Uh, Grandmaster Joel Benjamin was part of the development team. IBM hired that development team when the project was briefly given the name Deep Thought, but in 1989 it was renamed to Deep Blue. It was the first computer to win both a chess game and a chess match against a reigning world champion under regular time controls. It won its first game against world champion Garry Kasparov in game one of a six-game match on the 10th of February 1996. However, Kasparov won three and then drew two of the following five games, defeating Deep Blue by a score of four to two. Deep Blue was then heavily upgraded before playing against Kasparov again in May 1997. Deep Blue won game six, thereby winning the six-game rematch three and a half to two and a half and becoming the first computer system to defeat a reigning world champion in a match under standard chess tournament time controls. However, Kasparov did accuse IBM of cheating during that that, uh, contest, I suppose. Uh, The project started at the Carnegie Mellon University and was uh, basically a development in computer programming. uh, And it was a massive, massive development in terms of what it meant that we thought uh, computers could do. As we've heard before from some of our guests on Throwback Thursday, computers were very, very simple, particularly throughout the 1980s into the into the 1990s. We're now only just starting to get into the time when uh, the internet and and home com- home personal computers were becoming a regularly accessible thing. So we're now starting to see exactly how powerful they could become. And IBM were absolutely at the forefront of those developments. Uh, There's a lot of really complex language in terms of uh, the sources that I have here. So I'm trying to find out what I can actually put into into simple terms. But essentially, um, uh, it was this incredibly intelligent um, computer that managed to beat a human being in a game of chess, not just any human being, either a chess world champion, uh, really proving exactly what uh, a computer could achieve. Well, we're going to go back to the music here on 106.9 Tune FM. Thank you for listening in to Throwback Thursday 1997. Don't forget to join us at the same time next week as we move on to the year 1998.